Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Empathic Futures Lab podcast, the show about human-focused futures for the world in which we live. I'm Chris. And I'm Christian. All right. And uh, thanks for tuning in, tuning in again for the second episode of the, uh, well, I guess the second season of our podcast. we got, a, I think, an exciting topic for the day, and I'll let Christian uh, introduce that. Yeah, so, well, it's a big one. I would say. And I think both Chris and I, when doing our notes, we like to do some notes and a little bit of background before doing these things. So we're not entirely uninformed and just blowing off smoke or steam or whatever the words are. Blowing hot air. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so we, I think, we, I've kind of looked at my notes and Chris hasn't seen mine, but I've seen his, so maybe that's not quite fair. But <laughs> we, we've put together... But uh, we put together like a general idea of, of where we might be with this with this topic, and that topic is media and advertising. And I suppose we kind of threw advertising in there because it's so deeply connected. But I, I guess it's also like a, a, a type of media, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, so, yeah. But it, it's it's really deeply connected and super super. I guess it's a really hot topic these days. But um, I kind of wanted to get this kicked off because we both looked at it from very different perspectives. And the question I wanted to ask, and I have an answer for this, but I wanted to ask you, uh, what is media? What is media? Wow. All right. I don't actually know if I have a great answer to that. I, I, th- I think like how you answer that could, I think that really de- like changes the way in which we approach this. Right, right. I think I was approaching media as sort of the content creators and information providers uh, within the world, the people that kind of sort of strive to inform you or tell you things or show you things. I don't I don't necessarily think that's strictly strictly uh, limited to the news, you know, and you can show art, you can explain art, you can kind of tell people about the world through art or give ideas through art so but i think just in terms of like producing content showing content getting some sort of message out there maybe that's the media to me okay but do you see that as something that is coming from people it is it is of people yeah i think very much of people okay yeah yeah i would say it's a lot of a lot of my notes are, are kind of about that but i think when I think of media, I think that it's what I wrote down is an object of information transferred from one to the next. Okay. I don't know if that's even a good definition. So you're, you're thinking of media as like a, a byte of information, right? Sort of? A piece, yeah. It's an object in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, okay. And I don't know if that makes sense when you kind of tie it to medium. Right, and it's just like how something's represented. Yeah, someone is really revving their motorcycle out there right now. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think you could certainly, I don't know, if you, if you think of media as an object or a noun, I could see how the medium would be that thing that uh, carries or transports that object or noun somewhere else. So I, I guess I understand that from that perspective. Oh, here, here. The term medium, the singular form of media, is defined as one of the means or channels of general communication in society as newspapers, radio, television, etc. Okay, so medium so is a channel of information. Paintings, drawn maps, writing, not vocalization or gestures. Really? Okay. 
So media, Medium is a channel of transfer of information. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that, and so the media generally could be that entity that does that. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Okay. That. So that that maybe maybe we're kind of on the same page there. So uh, from from there, do you have any significant jumping off points, or should I? Throw one in the mix. Yeah, go with what you want. I, I have some a couple of topics, but I, I think we'll get into those just kind of naturally. So, let's see what you. So, there the one thing that was really interesting to me, and I, I kind of did all this spewing. Here's the context for my notes. Here is that I was driving back to Champaign uh, through Interstate 57 and some rural country roads. And what what happens when you're driving along these roads and highways is that there's pieces of media kind of scattered about what is more or less quote unquote a natural landscape we'll call it that and and the way i see it is is media is a very unnatural landscape it, it's a very unnatural un, it's a very man-made thing while the landscapes are are these things that are more or less considered to be less man-made i guess and that's the context of that and i was also thinking about the the class that i'm instructing which is architecture in the landscape uh, as a studio, and it made me real like think about media as being an object in space, and not just. It made me think about media as a noun, I guess, or mediums. And I guess like one thing that was interesting is is how people sort of set apart time to consume natural landscapes, but media were just kind of inundated with. Like on and on and on and on and on, and uh-huh. it's this thing that's made by people for people versus natural landscapes. Or is this, the idea is that it's something that is not made by people but is consumed by people, but it doesn't care. Like media is this autonomous thing, is designed to be consumed by people. While when we think of a natural landscape, it's something that exists and its intentions are outside of what. Uh, people would give it um, and so those were some of the thoughts I had and it's kind of really out there stuff I guess okay but it, it made me lo- think a lot about the intentions and why media and social media and all these things and advertisements are designed the way they are it's about people's consumption versus spaces that aren't designed uh, for our consumption okay. Um, okay I was wondering if they maybe sit at opposite poles um, and I, I think we can kind of circle back to this uh, this idea, but it, it kind of goes uh, deeper as well. Um, I think I, I wanted to bring something out that, uh, that I thought was interesting at what you just brought up. Um, I what caught my attention was this idea that, well, I guess the two ideas that you'd brought up about landscape comparing landscape along I-57 to the media landscape of like droning on and on. I think you can certainly say that there are landscapes in the U.S. that drone on and on and on similar to the media landscape. Uh, I've never driven across Nebraska or Wyoming, but I I imagine that's sort of what it's like. Illinois being sort of the mini version of that. Uh, But okay, so the, the other thing, the bigger thing that I thought was interesting was this idea that media is, I don't know, produced by people designed for people versus landscape is not so much. And I think what struck me odd about that is I think part of the reason that we're discussing this topic is we're sort of realizing that media is not really designed for people, or perhaps it is no longer really designed for people and sort of designed for profit. Right, exactly. Uh, so 
so there's that. I and and perhaps that brings up the question of was media at one point sort of designed for people and then we've sort of lost the plot in terms of what it was designed for in the first place. I think you can look back at I was reading that book Sapiens, right? And they were talking about how people learn to gather and and congregate and form groups and why humans are able to do this at a much larger scale. And I think part of that has to do with media and in terms of like forming narratives and and bonds and communities that people can sort of relate to each other with. Uh, so I think that is sort of what the media's job is in a way is like keeping keeping a culture, keeping a community, keeping people together. And, and that seems like such a innately humane thing, but sort of the way that we're going about it now and the incentives aligned with media now, especially with the whole fake news thing and, the, and, and all this crap coming out of social media, it's like, how did we get here in terms of like, maybe this isn't the most human thing anymore? So how did we get here? Well, that's a darn good question, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think um, that, did you watch that video that I sent from Zainab Tufeki? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was fantastic. It was really interesting. I, I, I liked how she kind of brought it from this innocuous thing of viewing an ad into this much less innocuous thing of infiltrating our entire lives in terms of building data or right. building think, a, a second data a building a data stream of about us right. and that's definitely probably on that latter portion of this movement that you suggested where we moved to this place and one thing that she comments and i think you actually wrote down this comment it says when we as a society can no longer be sure that we're seeing the same thing as each other this makes discourse nearly impossible right that was probably the most striking thing that she said that entire yeah uh, like that and, stuck to me and one one thing that i found really interesting because we're always talking about these individualized environments like that's we always had this ingrained idea on our show was that this this could be a great thing right it's gonna be wonderful right and then she brings up this point and this is like turns at 180 right no, well, shoot, it's true. That's a good, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, if, I, if, we're, if we're not working from the same basis, what are what's our what's our common bond? Right. Well, I, I think that's sort of you look at this whole way that we've we've kind of pushed in society over the last two hundred years, starting with liberalism and the Enlightenment and uh, and pushing into the free markets and and then the fall of cap- communism, so that capitalism is sort of the de facto winner, unless you go to China, or to a certain extent, Russia, maybe? I don't know. I mean, China's maybe the, the least market economy in the world besides, like, North Korea. I don't know enough about socioeconomic policies, political economic policies. We'll have um, to get someone on the show that does. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, you think about, like, there's no competition for these ideas anymore. So you can kind of just go ham with them, right? And, and say, is that what, happening? what is, like, the most extreme you can push individual liberal liberal individualism and what's and uh, what's the most extreme you can push kind of uh corporate free market sort of ideals maybe we're, we're not entirely free market obviously but there seems to be this push towards or a pullback from public help well and she and she made that mention too about youtube and how it, it always pushes like the most hardcore thing because right. that's probably where you can get people most likely to stay. Right. It's like push towards an extreme um, without the counterbalance. Uh, right. And, and not that that's necessarily a bad thing in certain areas, right? We definitely, 
I, I think, rightfully have been ingrained with this idea that everyone uh, is is equal and, and should have equal opportunity and be equal, treated equally, right? I think that's sort of this thing that's been pushed by, by society these days, and, and I, that's probably something that we should push to an extreme, but then you get to this other side of, like, how much individualism is too much individualism in certain areas? Yeah, and... I think I think what's really interesting about that is the way in which it's consumed, because when we talk about a natural landscape, there's things about that that it's not necessarily designed with like the Grand Canyon isn't something that was formed for people to experience it. But we all like be, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a person that went there and didn't have sort of a similar familiar feeling as someone else would when they yeah. go there like, we're all going to have kind of a subjective view of it but it has a particular impact right on people. like there's an underlying thing that's touching people right? right right maybe there needs to be this sort of overlying structure to lives or things that are sort of immutable but everyone should be free to equally experience those things maybe that's a good way of putting it uh, there's probably someone who could make a good argument refuting that um <laughs> <laughs> there's probably a a, a good refute for any argument or rebuttal. Oh yeah, for a lot of arguments. Anyway, um, kind of want to circle back. Yeah, let's circle back or on a tangent. Before we get to like fixing the problem. Yeah. And I think we need to dig in a little bit to how we got here and maybe take a walk through history. <clears throat> walk through history. I think that's on a show, a podcast I've listened to or something. Uh, sounds like it. sounds like Ross from Friends. And enter the time machine or something. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's what it was. I don't know. I feel like I've definitely heard that somewhere. I think you know part of this where you brought up this uh, this movement from information to to like objective information delivery, right? Yeah. Or let's say mostly objective information delivery, as much as you could be, and, yeah. and maybe maybe that's just a miss. Maybe that's a romanticism of... Yeah. of I'm sure there was a lot of false information. Well, I'm, I know there was a lot of false information given out in the past from right. newspapers. But there was sort of the single source, of, more consolidated source of truth. Put right. It that way. Um, to where we are now, where misinformation can run rampant. Does run rampant? Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, it does and it can. Yes. Okay. It's, it, there's an, it's an environment in which it can. Um, and frequently so does. I guess one question for me is the value of like the individual word or sentence or whatever has that decreased? Yeah. Okay. So over time, like with with this movement towards you know sensationalism. In a right. Way, right. Does does the does the value of truth decrease when uh, the market is just completely saturated? Right. And I think there's there's a lot to unpack there because, uh, on one hand, for whatever reason, and I don't know enough about history and, and cultural history and sociology and whatnot to understand this, but for whatever reason, it seems like there's been this growing trend towards anti-intellectualism, right? And uh, we don't want the facts, we just want to believe what we want to believe, not to call out any particular portion of society for doing that, but... It seems like it's kind of moving in that direction in certain spheres. Um, so maybe that plays a little bit to do plays a little bit of a role in terms of the decrease in the value of the sentence, as you put it. Um, okay, but I could definitely buy into that. I think that that plays part of it, but there's certainly, I think, 
us as a society grappling with this idea that there are so many options in terms of where do you go for your source of truth, right? It's no longer the city newspaper and then like the New York Times are your like three sources of truth. You got like, right? Like in the past you went to your city newspaper, maybe like a big regional one and then like the big national one. And that's where you got all your information. Right, and, and when there's fewer numbers like that, that means that those numbers are able to capture more value for themselves. Right, you're, you're capturing all of the advertising value in your market, which right. in the past was like a city, but now the market is the world. So maybe it's true that like each market has a similar number of players. There's just a much less markets than there used to be. I don't know if that's a fair thing to say. Well, I think there might be more markets. But it's like a, it's like one giant consolidated market of globalism. Okay, sure, 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 sure. So, so like the markets, so like to... the big players are Google and Facebook, as opposed to, you know, New York and Chicago and LA and Omaha had their own little markets. Right, and nobody cares what happened on Tuesday in Omaha. Yeah. Like, if you want something to go viral, to meme, right? If you want something to meme, it has to be able to reach more people than west side of Omaha. Yeah, yeah. If there is a west side of Omaha. Well, to get those views. And far, sorry for any of our Omaha listeners. We should get some Omaha listeners. That'd be cool. Uh, yeah, okay. So that's, that's true. Um, so I guess that makes a lot of sense. So there is a west side of Omaha. <laughs> yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, that there's less markets. But I think... And, and, and then this decentralization of information. It's like, where do you go for your information? So has there been a, a taking or a movement of media to being like an aesthetic object? And the way I guess I would describe that, um, as I was driving down the road, uh, I, was, I was thinking about perhaps like a car dashboard from the 50s or the 60s, right? Yeah. And my, my thought was that this, this was something that was very aestheticized and unique and was, was an integral part of the design of the car, right? But this, this had moved from like pure functionalism. Right. And then, and then you introduce like the digital dashboard. Right, like HUDs and things. This was something that was probably purely functional for a while, and then it became aesthetic. Right. Like, and then it became this aestheticization. And I wonder if, like, advertisements and, and media is almost to the point of where the sensationalism is, is about touching a subjectivity more so than it's about, than the media is about being objective. Yeah. Huh. Well, maybe that's true because we've, we've, we've gotten so good at distributing media now that we can do it for almost nothing. So you have to have some way of differentiating and maybe it's not purely like aesthetics in the sense that it's like graphic design or architecture talk about aesthetics, but it's aesthetics in terms of like... It's got to be pleasing. Right. It's clickbait aesthetics, essentially. Like it's yeah. window dressing of your words. Right. Maybe that's true. Um, so that's, that's something I was thinking about is how like that actual object, like the piece that you're consuming is um, whether it's a digital object or like a newspaper or whatever, like you make the letters really big and bold. You, right. you put a big picture on the front. You have, right. you have very little, you know, small font where, where the information actually is. Right, it's shallow. Um, it's shallow. It's a high line, a high, or a uh-huh. headline. Right. Like, you know, I go to my phone and I get a nice little picture and some big bold text. Right. And it's probably less than 10 words. Yeah. And that's, that's an aesthetic. It's about being... 
you know, pleasing and quickly consumable. And if it's more easily consumed, then you can do more of it. And right. And then, then that gets okay. So, so that brings us back to this idea of incentives, which have yeah. been, I think, sort of dissected ad nauseum by a variety of different media outlets at this point and, and, and intellectuals at this point. And, but, and, yeah, and if you watch this this video by Zeynep Tufeki, Zeynep, I don't know how you pronounce her name, it's very good. Yeah. And Okay, so I think we briefly, briefly touch on and why these incentives are broken. I, I, there are people who will do it way better than us. Probably should link one of those show, in the show notes if we can find yeah. them again. Um, but, I have them all. Oh, perfect. Well, I have I have the TED talk and everything. Okay. Do you have that one media medium post that long one? Medium we, post. Might be able to oh, find it. Oh shoot! Yeah, I can find that. Okay, yeah, we'll yeah, find yeah. That, that one. Really... That one did a really good job of talking about this stuff. But essentially, essentially, you know, we're coming back to this idea that clicks are good, right? Clickbait is good. Advertising is better. Yeah. Yeah. Advertising is how you make money. And in order to get money from advertising, people need to look at your stuff. And in order to look at your stuff, you need to clickbait, right? And and, and then clickbait sort of dilutes your content because now it's shallow or it might not be entirely true. So now you're kind of like, you might be a reputable source like the New York Times, but if you're putting out clickbait, then all of a sudden your reputation kind of takes a hit every time you have a clickbait article. So it makes your investigative journalism that much less reliable or reputable because everyone can look at your other content and say, well, that's crap, so maybe this is crap too, right? So like, that's this downward spiral of... The incentive structure of making money undermines your investigative journalism. You make don't make a whole lot of money doing the good, useful content. Right. And that's why you see some that are moving to the subscription-based right. with less ads, I think. Right. You kinda you kinda have to in order to get good at good journalism. But like people aren't willing to pay for that because it's because it's free everywhere else. Right, it's free everywhere else. Uh, and you have some of these newer models like Medium. I mean, I, I, I'm a paying member of Medium. I think I pay like $5 a month or something like that. And I can click the little claps and give people points. And I think they get paid per uh, clap or something like that. I don't know how it works. But even that is sort of like Reddit upvotey, Facebook-like. Like I could clap if it's good content or I can clap if I just agree with it, right? So... Even you that because it's your friend and you don't right. even care. Right, right, exactly. And, and that's what you do on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Right, and I clap if it's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I I try to clap more if I think it's good content and only a little bit if I just like what I read. But like, that doesn't really pay you for good stuff. It's just it is what it is. It's interesting. It would be interesting to kind of apply some sort of or try and figure out. Obviously, so many people are trying to figure out the best way to make money or get this business model in line but i wonder if it's not a business thing that we need maybe we well, just need a yeah. maybe it's a government thing i mean c-span right <laughs> well no not just c-span I, sort of c-span but not really I, I was thinking like i think at some point i had read somewhere and maybe this was where was maybe this was in the inevitable or maybe it was something else i don't know where i read this but someone was discussing this idea that it's really a shame how the news sort of world took how it took shape because at some point down the line the US government missed its opportunity to mandate a certain time every day be set aside for news on all of the channels like public news 
objective news. So like, you know, you always have the evening news on ABC, whatever, but the government, oh, here's what it was. The government missed its opportunity to say you can't, you must have news if you're a public station during this time, and you can't make money during that time. You can't have ads, right? So you would be required to show news from like 6 to 8 p.m., but you can't have ads. So that means you don't really care who's viewing it. You just have to give out good content versus you have like these ad-driven news networks like CNN and Fox where they're just like, well, we just want reliable viewers. So we're going to bias our crap and, and get reliable advertising money. I guess my question with that is, is like, would we end up at the same place anyway? Like, sure, you have to do news at a certain period. And I'm sure that there is some way to argue out of this. But like if if your news is more sensationalized and it's about the car chase or or, or whatever, it, it's less news and more but entertainment. Again, you like, don't aren't people more likely to stay on your channel if that's the case? Till later at night, maybe. Or maybe they, they prefer your news anchors to other news anchors. I don't know. But at least you're kind of you're kind of removing the money making aspect from the content creation aspect, which is sort of where the incentives misalign. Right. The other thought I had was, okay, so reading a lot recently, like in that winner's take all book and, and, and talking about how uh, we've built this culture where everyone tries to take this on their own and say, I'm an entrepreneur. I can solve this problem with business models. Right. And, and, and they kind of ignore the public sector. So I, I was kind of thinking about that as I was thinking about this um, topic. And I was like, what if we had, like, is there a way that we can create, like, a useful public sector news? Or, like, have this sort of half public, half private, like, socialist news, I guess? I don't know how else to put it besides socialist news. That has a terrible ring to it. Um, <laughs> but, like, how, or, or, like, how, yeah, how can news be, news. right, or how can news be nonprofit? Um, sort of like, yeah, I guess w- WTTW does it, NPR does it, but suppose like... Some people really like those, but it's not as entertaining. It's not entertaining, but NPR is also really biased, um, which I'm fine with. I, I enjoy the content. I think it's still useful information. It's just somewhat biased. I thought there was a piece done where NPR is actually not that biased. I'm sure the facts are all right. I think it's like kind of tone. Oh, okay. And, and, like, they're, and they're like... They're like NPR politics podcast is very much liberal. Like the facts are probably all straight and represented well, but the co- the hosts definitely are liberal people. I definitely don't listen to NPR very much. Sure. And the politics podcast is fun. I enjoy it. I don't follow much news at all, personally. Probably for the best. Um, okay, anyway, where I was going with this is like, can we uh, kind of have some sort of semi-public news source? Like suppose the government sets aside so much money so much money in their budget per year and that money and that money goes to i don't know i don't know now that i think about this like how would you decide who gets the money but suppose that there is some broadcasting company and the government sets aside a set amount of the budget per year like one percent of the budget or something you know and that number never changes like and that money goes to some public broadcasting company so like if if money is completely constant all the time no matter whether they like the news or dislike the news and somehow you like remove you remove politics from the promotion sort of side of moving up in that business then does it become more useful than the news company what do you do about the existing ones i don't know 
I don't know. What I'm what I'm trying to figure out is like, is there a way that is there a way that we can have news that's actually reliable, like that a majority of people would find as factually useful, as opposed to the ones now where it's like, well, they're biased, so we're not going to pay attention to them. And maybe that's just a sign. Maybe that's just because of the time we live in. People say that regardless. I don't know. I'm trying to I'm thinking through this. Like what if, like what if it was like a constitutional right to fair news? So we had to provide funding to some objections, objectively fair news. I think that's probably a reasonable amendment. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Honestly. you have the right to objectively true information. I don't see why we couldn't have that right. Given the past two years, and it might not be that un- unlikely. How do you? How do you do something that, like, C-SPAN exists, you know, PBS exists. Right. Right. So how do you do something that is different from those? I think you have to, I think you just link it so that this this group gets the same amount of money every year. Like, PBS has to appeal to donors, right? right. So they have to pander to someone. Right. Um, C-SPAN, I don't really, it doesn't really count as a media company. It just kind of shadows Congress. But yeah. I, th- I think you need, from my sort of naive standpoint, I think you need to decouple this news from making money and just say it's about information and you're going to get the same amount of money regardless of what you cover as long as you, you know, uphold a standard of journalism. Okay. I think that's a fair... I just, I don't know how you depoliticize that. Yeah, how do you how do you take? I, I I think that's a really nice and democratic way of doing it, honestly. Because what that does is it it gives it gives a measuring stick, right? Yeah. So even if you still have the New York Times and Fox and CNN and everybody still hanging out and doing their thing, like you always can go back to the measuring stick. I think I think that's that's really where it needs to be, and, and whether it's a traditional news site or channel or whatever how whatever its manifestation i think this like universal fact checker thing is the ultimate value that it would be and i I think you would still need some way of allowing it to do investigative journalism and 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 things like that that actually produce useful information as opposed to just spewing facts that people have to interpret on their own right Um, i think i think the hard part would be like appointments like how do you appoint the, the head of that organization how do you promote people through that ed- organization right. and as we've seen in the last week there can be problems with yeah. that sort of system when the checks and balances aren't upheld working seemingly right. or they're too yeah there's too much and but there's like there's got to be other other parts of government maybe it's just because they don't matter as much where politics don't play as large of a role I don't know. Maybe politics play all, a huge role in all of government. Seems like it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, it, it just seems like the way it seems like there's loopholes and ways in which things can kind of be forced through in an almost undemocratic way. Yeah, I don't know if the like there's there's just like no way, right? That like how do you how do you say that we're gonna you like run this thing completely separate from government? but the government continually gives it money. Like, it, you know, it almost have to be like a government contractor that is guaranteed the same contract over and over again in perpe- perpetuity. So it's a nonprofit. 
non-governmental NGO, basically. Yeah, a non-profit NGO. That is, perhaps it's funded by a tax. Yeah, I think it'd have to get funded by a tax. It doesn't go to the government, right? And so it doesn't it doesn't go into the budget. Well, I don't know if it necessarily has to be funded by a certain tax. I think you just say literally you must set aside a certain percentage of the budget well, for free news. Well, that's what I'm asking. Like, can can it be like a non-governmental tax? So, like, the government budget, like, the government doesn't touch it, basically. Well, I, yeah, maybe. I don't know enough about how taxes work, and I don't to say like oh do we add a separate tax for that i think you just say dip into the pot and give it a certain amount of money per but anyway well, getting into the it feels like if you're dipping into that pot then there's a whole other slew of things that go well i think there. you'd have to like mandate that this this amount of money stays constant forever right you can't say oh i liked what it did last year so we're going to up it a few percentage points or oh i disliked what it did last year so we're going to put it down a couple percentage points right I think you'd have to mandate that it gets this amount of money no matter what. Okay. 1% of the government or, you know, 0.5% of the government spending or whatever. Always. Goes to the free, reason, constitutional free news. The reason, the reason I suggested that it's sort of a tax, like a sales tax kind of, is that maybe it's funded by other, me- of the profits of other media companies. Like other media companies are taxed for its benefit. Yeah, but then you want, I think then you're incentivizing other companies to make money. That's true. <laughs> I think it just has to be this set. It, it, well, maybe it could be like a progression, like a progression tax. Where it gets I think it's just, it's just like you, if we're constitutionally guaranteed the right to good quality news, then you just say, oh, we're giving you a certain amount of money per year. Is there no anything what. in the Constitution that talks about that? I have no idea. There's some, like, fourth grade stuff that, sadly, I don't remember. I mean, there's there's the free press, right? Yeah, freedom and... of the press. But I think we just need, at this point, and there's no way that anyone would have anticipated this, of, of the right to useful, like, objective news. The right to news. The right to fair information. So I... I think we we really get into what exactly a free press is. Is are we are you impinging on that when you talk about this, or is this just a check to the free press? I think it's a check to the free press. I think it's. I, I don't. I don't see any way why this would impinge on the free press. It's not like you're telling people that they can't do anything. It's just saying we will do something, and you can do as you like around what we're providing. I don't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know. That's how I read it. We are going to do this. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair way of going about it. So we there's these groups within, like, there's these sections of the government. The military. Military tends to be more conservative, right? I mean, generally. Yeah. Uh, it, I wonder, like, would there be a tendency? A tendency? Right. Would, would this idea of a public news thing that is more than you know, WTT or PBS or whatever, would it, would it have an inherent tendency? Like, you're talking about NPR. Oh, I'm sure it would. I, I don't know. Maybe that's just inherent to human nature, that it has some sort of some sort of bias towards something. I don't know. I think you just don't want it to be a bias towards or a, a unlimited 
restrictionless bias towards the government and yeah. say that it, then it becomes like a state police press or a propaganda machine and you don't want that there's got to be i think the tough part would be like how do you keep it from becoming a propaganda machine uh for the government while also keep it from producing stupid stuff uh, i don't have a good answer to that uh, do you know how npr is funded donors it is donors Probably, yeah. I mean, they ask for donations all the time. I've donated a few times. Well, I mean, a lot of NPR is, like, local ones, right? Yeah. Sure. I, I don't know. Maybe there's... There's some advertisements on NPR, but that's, like, very limited. I don't know. I don't know enough about NPR's business model. So something that did catch my attention that might be worth bringing up just for the end here. Uh, I recently took this, this uh, survey on Wired, and they were yeah. just like basically asked me about my media experience and they said they'd pay me potentially you'd be entered in some drawing for three cash prizes which you know thousands of people taking this survey there's almost no way i win but you know if i win a thousand dollars it's well worth my 15 minutes of time right Um, and and if i'm being fully honest i didn't answer all the questions honestly it took forever and by the end i was just like screw this i'm just clicking buttons but it did make me think. Uh, a lot of it was asking, like, what is premium? What is a premium media experience? Okay. And my immediate reaction was to go back to this off-screen magazine that I've been reading. Like a print magazine called Offscreen. Mm-hmm. It's like a quality thing. It has a bunch of interviews with interesting people. And I was like, that to me seems like premium experience. Way more premium. They're like, do you find Netflix premium? I'm like, no. Like, Netflix, to me, seems average now. Like, I know it's this huge company with lots of revenue and lots of subscribers, but it just seems average now. Like, they've set the bar so high for digital content that, like, that's average, at least in my opinion. I was okay. curious what you curious what you thought about that. Like, what, what, is, what is premium content? What is premium content to you? When you well, think premium, do you think Netflix? I or? think what was interesting is that you brought up is, you said the outline, right? Off screen. Off screen. Um, is that also published online? They have a. They used to have a newsletter. He's rebranded it to Dense Discovery. It's actually pretty good too. And off is, that, is there like a digital twin of the physical book? He might have some PDFs online. I don't know. It's not easy to navigate. The book's better. Okay. Well, that's what, what I was gonna. Like when you when you talk about content, my assumption is that they're talking about something that is online, and then you talk about off screen in the book. And like, well, okay, does... Well, I mean, they did ask on there, like, you read, like, print content. That was one of the options. It was, like, one option that was print content. The rest were, like, all these various screened sort of things. Well, well what I was going to get at there was something, like, the the physical twin of the of the digital thing, right? Or, like, yeah. I, I think that could, like, you, you have this, this digital thing that you subscribe to but it also has like a physical entity that you get. and i think for me that would be something that would be considered premium there it's it putting it on paper gives it more value making so, it physical is inherently premium like you have to put effort into doing that and money yeah well and then okay so that brought up this other point is remember we talked a while ago about like once something becomes ubiquitous the sort of the pyramid flips Right. Like, where are we now at the point where the pyramid flips and we're like, okay, premium is print and not so premium is digital? I definitely think so. Yeah. And, like, super premium is, 
like these these custom things that you, know, you get your book bound a special way and yeah and like well, what you have now are these like there's a hat shop that opened up in Champaign a hat shop and it makes hats a fancy hat shop not like a baseball cap you go get like your a nice got a nice fedora or a top hat yeah that's sort of crap huh like that wouldn't have worked twenty years ago would it probably not when like Amazon and eBay and or maybe ten years ago were becoming huge, but but now that I can get anything I want online, what's what's that experience that I can get with the physical product? Right. Um, if it's a physical product, and so in terms of digital content, I think I think that's something to think about with media. Is um, does that make the newspaper more valuable? And is there ways in which the newspaper can be distributed so that it is more valuable and isn't yesterday's news? Is it more like a magazine or or a journal. I'll use the word journal, right? The New York Times Journal or the Wired Journal, rather than like a standard magazine with advertisements. Huh. Um, I think that's. Do people subscribe? Do people subscribe? Because. I think that's the most interesting idea that we've brought up so far. That you've brought up. That we collectively have brought up. I, that's a really good point. I think that's something that's well worth exploring. Because maybe it is um, true. Maybe maybe the newspaper is much more useful now if you can build it in some way that gains reputation. I don't know what that is, but well, and if you tie that back to, I guess if you tie that back to like national or then this national news network thing, where it's it's kind of like NPR except it's not just radio, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then how do you introduce like a physical presence for those and? I read this article you sent about Apple stores and Apple store. It's not about just having a storefront, but it's about building something within that storefront. And I wonder if like, would people distrust media as much if it had a physical presence that was reachable and attainable and like you could interact with? Like if, if the, if in Champaign, the, the local news media outlet or whatever, if it's nationally funded or not, who cares? But if it's something that people interacted with on a daily basis, is it is it more accessible? Maybe. I don't have a good answer like, to that. If it's attached to, to public environment, is it is does that just is that just better? Is it is it something where it, it's less about this digital online thing and, and more about like sure you could have it that way, but you know the person that's producing it. You've met them at right. the the outdoor like the the news center or whatever that you can just you can go to and it's, it's kind of like a Starbucks where you right. just hang out. Well, I mean, we've already discussed this idea that people are seeing different things nowadays. And if it was physical, you would be seeing the same thing as everyone else. Yeah. I mean, if everyone's seeing the exact same thing, it'd be inherently more controversial too. But I, I think that's a good point. I like this idea of Starbucks, this news center, this physical news center. I don't know how you'd ever do that or what that even is, but I think it's really interesting in theory the resurgence of the newspaper maybe that's just and the, and the local news maybe that's something worth exploring like, i don't know if people hate the local fox news channel as much as people hate the national fox channel <laughs> no it's true i don't have anything against my local fox news i watch football on that show tv channel yeah you know <laughs> yeah uh it's it's the fox so, news it's heavily like, partisan if you can build up these reputations from, I guess, from the bottom up, yeah, where it's, and uh, I don't know. Well, it, I, it just has to be sufficiently like what makes it so useful. You know, we we it's the pyramid flipping because of ubiquity. So like, 
if what's the, kind of the selectiveness is what would make it actually what's the word uh, scarcity of it would make it valuable so how do you how do you keep the scarcity of it and the value that that brings uh, while also taking advantage of this I, this whatever it being a physical thing brings to the table also right and I guess one way I think about it is I know in downtown Chicago you have these I think ABC has this thing where you can walk along the street and you can see in where they're actually filming at the Tribune NBC Tower at the Tribune Tower NBC and they had like radio shows that you could watch being recorded and everything and that's kind of neat but I wonder if there's a deeper interaction that people could have with that stuff yeah maybe even input in some way yeah where like you have a record that this person was interviewed sort of or you kind of have you're able to see it right like you think of these reports that come out in trump and they're so deniable because i mean if you believe in the journalistic integrity of the times you believe the report if you don't believe in the journalistic integrity of the times you're like oh this is a bunch of anonymous sources giving you crap right? right so i wonder if there's a way to circumvent that and then i start thinking about the whole um digital like uh, footprint thing with um uh, this Ethereum one that we were looking at. What was it called? Foam. Right, foam. Yeah. And, like, you know, location verification and, and how all that works in terms of, like, how media is produced and, right. and how how it's sort of distributed. Well, so if you don't, I guess. I mean, we talked about this before right. briefly. Well, there's that. Did you see that link I sent over the weekend called, it was like narrative.org, something like that? Yes, yeah, I, I signed up for that. I didn't look at it. I don't really understand it, but it's some sort of um, community-driven news source. Right. Um, I, that's what I thought. I, I, I kind of understood, but it's a little confusing. It's really confusing. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's built on, you know, buzzword of 2018 blockchain, built on some of those fundamental principles. So, I don't know, maybe that's something to keep track of and see if this sort of, like community-oriented, community-run, transparent news source will be the way of the future. Yeah, and I still think that no matter how you do it, like, scarcity and value is physical space. Yeah. Digital space is so expansive. Physical space isn't quite as much. That's true. So there's inherent value in that. And if, if you connect a digital thing to a physical space, maybe maybe that's a good way of just doing things in general. Yeah, then you kind of keep some of the scarcity to it. Okay, uh, I think that's a good place to stop. I gotta wrap this up because I gotta get ready okay. to go. Sorry. Um, no, it's fine. I still have some time. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. Kind of rambled a little bit at times, but hopefully it was interesting. Uh, I Oops. think we kind of got somewhere at the end. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll be back next week. Yeah. Thank you again. <laughs>